0: I originally had a fairly heavy topic planned for April, multi-part, kind of sensitive, a little more in-depth than I'd normally do. But then history started happening directly to all of us, and my general capacity went right out the window. So instead, I called my sister up, and we talked about pets, because talking about animals makes us happy, and I hope it makes you happier too. Let's begin. I'm here on HI101 with Becca Blesky.
1: Hi.
0: And we are going to be talking about, I guess, just famous animals. You know? I looked at some heavier topics and I decided I didn't want to do any of those this month. I wanted <laughs> something nice and light and fun and uh wanted to, yeah, just just chat with you about some famous animals. Anyway, yeah, I just thought I'd uh we we'd do something nice and light and uh and fun for this month instead. Um, because that's all I really want to do right now. Yep. <laughs> I think one thing that's really interesting uh about the research that I did is that Sometimes people in history can seem a little bit unapproachable, like they're just like very kind of dominating presences when you read about all these like really crazy things that they did. And one thing that really helps humanize them in my mind is um, some of the pets that they've had and the way that they treat them. Mm -hmm. So that's been a lot of fun for me. Um, So I've basically got three categories. I've got famous people's pets. I've got exotic animals as pranks. (laughs) 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 And I've got hero animals. Um, Oh, perfect. What do you feel like starting off with?
1: Um, Let's start with people's pets. Okay. Because I feel like it's very relatable.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I. uh, Well, first off, let me just give a quick shout out to presidentialpetmuseum.com. Um, Uh, normally I don't specify specific, uh, uh, sources that I've used. I found this extremely helpful. There is one website you can go to. You can find every single pet a president has ever had. Um, so you're welcome, everybody.
1: That's amazing.
0: I I spent way longer on there than I needed to. Honestly, it was not, it's not like, it's not like the most quality information, but it is extremely interesting. So anyways, (laughs) let's start with president Andrew Jackson. He's one of those guys who, like, the more I learn about him from history, like, the less I like him. He's the president that's like responsible for the Trail of Tears. He was oh. like, oh yeah, no, he's like the worst one. Good. <laughs> I don't know if he's the worst one necessarily, but like, that's that's a, that's a hard bar. That that's a high bar to cross. But like, he's 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 up there, man. Um, sure. He had this gray parrot named Paul P O L L, like Polly without the Y. Okay. mm Hmm. The what like what's the one thing everyone knows about gray parrots
1: they live forever
0: okay what's the second thing they know about great parrots
1: um they're kind of assholes
0: <laughs> third thing they can talk really well <laughs> they can learn they can learn a lot of words right
1: mm-hmm. yeah so
0: jackson had originally gotten this parrot for his wife like to like give her a companion kind of thing and he didn't initially like it that much but after his wife passed away he decided to like look after it right and okay. he was known as being, like, a pretty, like, harsh guy. Um, and I guess he had sort of mellowed out by old age. But, like, what, what ended up happening, the thing that this bird is actually known for, is that when Jackson passed away, they were holding, like, a funeral reception at the White House. And this bird was there. And, like, there was, like, a moment of silence, like, quiet reflection for the life of Andrew Jackson. And this gray parrot named Paul starts swearing up a storm. And um, let me tell you, I looked so hard to try and figure out what exactly he said, because even if I couldn't actually put it on here, I wanted to share it with you specifically. Um, of course. Of course. Uh, I couldn't find it. Nobody wrote it down, everyone was too shocked. <laughs> There's like this account from a reverend that's like, yeah, there were like there were women who had to be like escorted out because they were fainting at with this parrot was saying. <laughs> so this dude taught his parrot so many swear words that they had to like remove it from the general vicinity during a funeral process or a funeral oh, no. ceremony. Um <laughs> and yeah, that was like it's like okay, that makes sense. From Andrew Jackson, like from everything I've ever read on this guy, this tracks, right? Like he would treat. He would teach his parrot to swear, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's his parrot. Um, <laughs> a lot of these stories are really short, by the way. We're just going to keep rolling through. Parrot is like far from the weirdest presidential uh, animal that I found, though. Um, okay. Theodore Roosevelt had a daughter named Alice, and she really, really liked snakes. And she caught a garter snake and named it Emily Spinach. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty good name for a snake. I like it. And I guess she had a habit of like pulling these snakes out. Like she had more than one, but Emily Spinach was like the best one. Sure, the star. Yeah, yeah. She would pull these snakes out like while there were like foreign dignitaries visiting and like (laughs) let them loose under dinner tables and stuff.
1: Oh gosh.
0: Uh, There's a quote from Roosevelt that basically said, I can either govern the nation or I can govern Alice, but not both.
1: the most dad thing to say as a president
0: (laughs) honestly i really liked that quote a lot but yeah i guess i guess her and and her brother had a bunch of different uh pets that they would just like run wild around the white house but like that was my favorite name one definitely that's really good um scaring people at the white house with animals not like like this is a thing that happened a lot apparently i was unaware (laughs) of this in uh in 1825 Let's roll back a bit. Um, The Marquis de Lafayette, he's this French like nobleman, right? And Mm -hmm. during the American Revolution, he heard about what was going on. And he's like, I believe in this cause. And like as an 18 year old, 19 year old came to America from France and was like, I want to fight for American liberty against the British. And they're like, really? He's like, yeah. (laughs) They're like, do we have to pay you? And he's like, no. And they're like, great. You're a general now. (laughs) Um, But like he was he was a really influential part of like the revolutionary army. Right. After the uh, after the revolution was over, he went home to France and he ended up being a really important figure in the French Revolution as well. Most notably, he managed to survive it, which is like a major accomplishment in and of itself. Everybody died (laughs) in that thing it's a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he ended up spending like 7 years in jail or something like that, but you know, he was he was still a part of the the uh, revolutionary army there. So in 1825, after, you know, Napoleon's dead and there's like a stable government in France again, he decides to come back at the invitation of um the the president John Quincy Adams. He comes back for this like tour of uh, the United States and um, he goes through every single state that exists at that point. I think there's 24, and it goes to these parades and whatever. He gets given all these gifts, and I couldn't figure out which state g- gave this to him. But somebody gave him an alligator as like a thank you for making America free.
1: Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that's so random.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't know but he's got an alligator now and he's got to get back to France at some point.
1: Like, does that count as carry on for your ship or like, do you have to check that? This
0: is, this is a bit of a dip into exotic animals as pranks as far as I'm concerned, honestly, (laughs) because what ends up happening is that he, his his tour ends in, in Washington DC with like a meeting with the president. Right. Mm -hmm. And he gets there and he's like, you know what? I can't bring this back with me to France. (laughs) how about i just give this to you you know what (laughs) i wish i could take this alligator with me but you take this alligator
1: this is yours
0: now and adams goes all right great now i got an alligator and he (gasps) sticks it in a bathtub in the east room in the white house where it lives for like a pretty long time like
1: oh my goodness
0: a couple of years and apparently adams liked sending guests in there Without telling them that there was an alligator in the bathtub. <laughs> Just, like, freak them out. Just of to course. see what they would do, you know? Sure. You got a major meeting with a, with a foreign dignitary. See how they handle a the surprise alligator. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways. The alligator eventually got put in a zoo, as I understand it. Um, but yeah, there was an alligator living in the White House for a while.
1: Was the alligator named?
0: I couldn't find a name for it.
1: Ah. Uh.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of these animals I look pretty hard for names on that you would think they would have names, and I just, you know, couldn't track them down. Right. Which is too bad. I would like to know more about this alligator. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have just, like, weird, weird pets. Like, you think dog, you think cat, whatever. All good. Maybe a bird. This is fine. Artists, I notice, really like having different animals. Um. Okay. You know Salvador Dali? Yeah. Do you know about his pet?
1: Mm, I don't think so.
0: He had an ocelot. He really? had, He had an ocelot named Babu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's great actually. There there are photos of this ocelot with Salvador Dali and um it's a really cute animal. Apparently he would walk it around with this like diamond studded leash. And just like, of course, he did take it with him to like restaurants and stuff. There's a story of him taking it into a restaurant and some woman complaining that he's got like a wild cat on a leash with him at a restaurant. And he just told her that she's an idiot that it's a regular cat. And then she that he painted a, a pattern on it as an act of off art.
1: <laughs> That's uh, so funny. I know
0: it's great. Anyway, yeah, look at Babu. He's he's extremely cute.
1: um mm-hmm. I don't get
0: the impression that he necessarily like enjoyed his life with salvador Dali, being you know an ocelot and whatnot mm-hmm. but um yeah extremely cute uh i found this french uh poet named gerard de Nerval. uh he had a pet lobster
1: a lobster
0: a lobster named tibalt oh mm-hmm. and like i like this one because he got into a little bit more like detail as to like why would you keep a lobster because like that's the obvious first question here right mm-hmm he had this lobster. He walked it around on a blue silk leash through like public gardens in Paris, which wow. is a delightful mental image.
1: That's so bougie. Right?
0: Of course it's silk. Why not? Um, yeah, people asked him, you know, why a lobster, right? And he says, well, it's a perfect pet. Lobsters are peaceful, they're serious, they know the secrets of the sea, and they never bark. So, <laughs> like, what more could you want out of a pet?
1: win all around
0: yeah 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 yeah. it's good stuff um let's dip into another president i've got a lot of those thanks to you know (laughs) presidentialpetmuseum.com uh let's do let's do woodrow wilson so woodrow wilson was president during the first world war and you know the first world war was like especially in in europe but but for united states as well was like the first like very total war like full economy mobilization type thing and mm-hmm. you get a lot of propaganda in this era about like everybody's got to make sacrifices there are cuts to be made we need to like contribute to the war effort kind of thing right we're not quite at like world war Two level you know save the tinfoil wrapping from the cigarette package type mobilization yet but there is a lot mm-hmm. of like there's going to be some rationing we're going to have to make do stuff like that right yeah so As sort of a PR campaign of, like, making a show of, see, I'm, you know, making do with less as well, Wilson decides to cut back on groundskeeping spending at the White House. And instead of having people cut his grass, he gets a flock of sheep (laughs) at the White House to nibble on the grass to keep it short. (laughs) And this is the sacrifice he has made for the nation.
1: That's so generous
0: um part of this part of this flock is a ram named old ike the tobacco ram <laughs> <laughs> um old ike was i mean he's 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 a ram so he's massive number one and he's mean number two right like there this isn't like this isn't like oh look at this cute ram hanging no 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 he's like he's constantly attacking security he's constantly attacking staff He like <laughs> He'd, like, wait until your back is turned and then, like, try and sneak up on you and, like, headbutt you as hard as he could. Of course. N- nobody got, like, gored or anything, but, like, apparently it was a close call a number of times. hmm However, the one thing that I did actually enjoy was finding old cigar butts on the ground and chewing the leftover tobacco in them.
1: <gasps> oh, no.
0: Which is super bad. <laughs>
1: really bad yeah
0: um yeah that that's that's not good for well anybody but yeah that's that's one of those things that like animals find you know old cigarette butts and stuff it can make him really sick not old like he, he just mowed down on them no problem
1: do you think that's why he was so mean like maybe it's been a while since he found one he's like mm. you know it's like quitting smoking and you get irritated
0: he's got the cravings yeah yeah I don't know. I, I I really don't know, but it, it it could be. I I think most of it was just being a ram. But like, a ram, yeah. <laughs> having nicotine withdrawal would probably not help things. You're right. Um, <laughs> this one, you know, I'm like I said, I'm trying to keep things light. But here's 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 the nice thing about uh, Old Ike. Uh, he he did eventually pass away of old age, and I found this story that as he was as he was dying, his caretaker gave him one big massive cigar to eat and he died chewing on the cigar doing what he loved
1: oh my god could you imagine if that happened now how torn apart they would be by people on the internet
0: you know, every single animal visit video I've ever seen on the internet, like, no matter what's happening, there's always those people in the comments who are like, um, this animal's clearly in distress. Look at that. That's a stress <laughs> response. It's not having fun. This is animal cruelty and abuse. And I'm going to report you. Like, yeah, if you're feeding them an entire cigar, then Yeah. <laughs> they- <laughs> You know, usually it's just like, oh, you're playing with your pet and he's like barking or whatever, right? No, mm-hmm. no, 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 you're feeding him an entire cigar. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> there's like a news release about old Ike dying and it says Aww. at the bottom that it's like of natural, like of old age or of natural causes. I can't remember which. And I, I was sitting here reading this and going like, it might have been from nicotine poisoning.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh no, imagine poor Ike's just having a down day and then he gets given an entire cigar to eat. <laughs> oh, good this...
1: night, sweet Rams.
0: <laughs> I love old Ike. This is this is a good Aww. one. He's one of my he's one of my favorites in this story. <laughs> um, I don't know, people get weird about their pets. Like there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of like weird pet stories. And it kind of crosses like eras quite a bit. I found this one about uh Lucius Licinius Crassus. This guy is one of the um, triumvirs. So him, uh, him with Julius Caesar and Pompey the Great are basically the ones who overthrow the Roman Republic, creating the Roman Empire. He's also potentially the wealthiest man in history. That's one of those like disputed things, but like he was insanely wealthy. There are mm. very few people. Like there's no one today that could touch his levels of wealth. Wow. Um, he actually got a lot of his wealth this is this is a complete aside but he actually got a lot of his wealth by he had this uh team of firefighters which is not like a public service in rome you know in the 50s and 40s bce right like Mm -hmm. your house is on fire you got to figure out what to do if you're wealthy time to move (laughs) yeah if you're wealthy enough you can afford to like hire somebody like you can pay firefighters that will come to your house but like you'd have like a little plaque on your house kind of thing showing Mm -hmm. that yeah like if it's on fire the firefighters are going to put this one out so what crassus would do was anytime there was a house fire in rome he would roll up with his firefighters and he would basically offer you the choice of selling your house to crassus and then paying rent to him for the rest of your life or he would let it burn to the ground wow yeah it's ice cold
1: it wasn't even like hey you can pay me to have my guys take care of this so you can keep living here Mm -mm. as per normal
0: (laughs) no 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 no. wealth is property man that's how that works yeah yeah he was a jerk anyways that's so smart though yeah it is there's it's it's one of those things that you just kind of have to be you have to be brutal enough to pull it off i guess (laughs) yeah um he you're never gonna guess what his pet is man um his favorite pet in the whole entire world was an eel that he kept in a pond behind his house
1: an eel an
0: eel this was not rare necessarily in rome it it was like a classy thing to have a pet eel but he loved his eel he loved his eel so much that he gave it a necklace and earrings he decked <sighs> it out in jewelry i don't know how that works i don't know where number one where's the eels, eels are all
1: neck. Where's an <laughs> number eel's two, neck where are their ears
0: <laughs> how does it stay on like i'm assuming like i'm assuming the earrings he just kind of like put through the gills or something (laughs) i don't know but like the necklace how does that stay on i don't know it must have been pinned to whatever he loved this he he would consistently and publicly state that his eel was as beautiful as any maiden out there he (gasps) loved this eel and when this eel died he publicly openly wept about it
1: oh wow Mm
0: mm-hmm he was so upset.
1: Why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love the eel. I don't know. This is how these things go sometimes.
1: That's crazy. Right. I don't understand the world of wealthy people, clearly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I hear that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is just maybe this is just one of those things where it's like, listen, I can afford to have an eel pond and you can't, but like, you know. The, the people, like, accusing him of, like, being a weirdo to cry over his eel dying, like, he turned around and, like, threw basically said, like, you didn't even cry when your wife died. Like, open up a little, man. <laughs> like, feel something. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways. Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought that was a really weird one. Romans, in general, was were, like, very passionate about their animals. Like, there are a lot of... Um, hmm. Like, if you're feeling, like, something a little sadder, there are a lot of, like... Um, Graves for dogs out there with like very touching eulogies wrote, written on them by romans yeah. and they're very very sad but like very sweet um they they cared a lot about their animals um Aww. yeah i got another roman for you though uh emperor caligula i don't know if you know this story or not he had this horse named incitatus and it was his favorite horse he loved this horse one point he had a bridge built over a lake and rode Incitatus across the entire lake just to disprove a prophecy made by an oracle saying that he was as likely to be emperor as to ride a horse across a lake. So, like, take that, everybody. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Um, but the thing that Incitatus is better known for is that Caligula made Incitatus an actual priest, dressed it up in a toga fed it, feed with gold leaf mixed in, and according to some sources, tried to have it appointed as a consul. So like part of the Roman government. Now, this story is extremely disputed. It may not have happened at all. Usually though, it's presented as though like, Caligula has this reputation of like, wow, he was like debauched and he was insane. And the story is kind of meant as like a, a like look how crazy he is sort of thing. If it is true, it may have been as much like a political move or like a slander move as a, a crazy thing. He's only like the third Roman emperor and a lot of the stuff from like the Roman Republic is still in place. And during the Roman Republic, the consul was like the the that's the highest position you can occupy in government. Right. There are two co uh, consuls that rule for a year at a time. Basically. Once the, uh, once the, like in the very early days of the empire, there were still elections for consuls sort of, but like they were, uh, influenced by the emperor there, there are other interpretations of this, of, of basically Caligula saying, listen, nobody is better. Nobody's good enough to fill the consul position there's so poor candidates here there, there, or there's such poor candidates here that my horse could do a better job than any one of you. Like basically like uh what's wrong with everybody here kind of thing as a, as a slight to his political rivals. <laughs> um, it could also have been a ploy to be like, well, my horse says this. And so you guys got to do what he says. There's, there's a lot of ways of looking at this one, but like, hmm, I don't know. He just about ruled Rome for a while. Maybe.
1: I'm still on him making his horse a priest
0: (laughs) yeah i mean at this point in in rome like the government and the religious structure are very closely intertwined like there are there are appointments as priests that are like part of the um it's called the cursus honorarium it's like the it's the it's the way you work your way up to positions of power in roman society Mm -hmm. um you know sometimes that would be as like governor of a little province but sometimes that would be serving a year as priest of this or that at a temple um like those those two things are not really distinguished in roman society mm. so it was already like a getting him into the like structure of power type thing sure he still wants him weird. he wants
1: him to rise to the top only the best for his horse
0: only the best for his horse again <laughs> yeah no it's so it's weird but
1: super in tune with the lives of wealthy people clearly <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, if you can make your dog like a government official, would you not? My dog specifically? <laughs> and you had the cash to back it up, I guess. I guess that's how this, I guess how this speculation works. Anyways, anyways. Um yeah, that is as I said that that one's disputed. It may not have happened. I don't know for sure. um there's a lot of debate debate about it, but for a long time, the histories around Coolidge were pretty unambiguous that he tried to make his horse a a, a consul so yeah, uh who else do we got here? um we talked about old Ike, good stuff <laughs> calvin Coolidge, another president his 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 wife was a was a huge animal lover uh her name is grace. All sorts of stuff. Pygmy Hippo, Wallaby. Uh her favorite though was a raccoon named Rebecca. <laughs> and again, there are plentiful pictures of this raccoon out there, most of which are like her scooping Rebecca up into her arms like a small child slash cat. This is like the happiest looking raccoon. He is she's having such a good time. Originally, though, the reason they had Rebecca was um in 1926, for Thanksgiving, the state of Mississippi sent Rebecca to be part of the meal. <gasps> yeah. And they uh, they decided not to include her on the menu.
1: Oh, man.
0: There's this weird time in the early 20th century where there's like a bunch of norms around Thanksgiving in a, in the United States still being established. And there's like a lot of posturing from not just different segments of society, but also different industries in terms of, like, getting themselves in as part of this tradition, right? Like, so you get the whole, like, being provided turkey every year and the turkey pardon and all of that mm-hmm. stuff under under FDR, right? But, like, yeah, Mississippi, for I, I don't know the motivation here, but, like, they really wanted to see a raccoon on the menu.
1: I was going to say, so did the raccoon get pardoned that year then, or...?
0: I, I, yeah i don't think it was like as official as the like turkey pardoning uh became um but she did definitely get incorporated as part of the household um and yeah again for a while was kept in the bath for a little bit Same bath. Uh, they did but i don't think so no hmm. they did end up building her like an outdoor enclosure but oh, that's nice. um Yeah, but Grace would often bring her into the house to play Mm -hmm. and to give her baths. Apparently, she really liked being put into a bath, like with water Mm -hmm. and given like some soap. And she would like just play around with the soap in the tub, like chasing it around and stuff and playing with the bubbles for like hours, which is adorable. Mm Apparently she was also a terror. Like she would like rip up the satin, like the silks and stuff, like the bed sheets.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, like extensive damage done to the White House by this raccoon. That
1: makes sense for a raccoon.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. But like the staff couldn't really say anything, right? Because like she was kinda baby. Yeah. You know? Um, they did try and get a second raccoon named Ruben as a as a as a companion for Rebecca. They hated each other. <laughs> They did not get along at all. Um, I really like this raccoon drama in the White House quite a bit. Um, but yeah, uh, eventually she ended up being uh, put into a zoo. But uh, mm. for, for several years, she lived in the White House, which is just fantastic. That's great. Mm. Um, Josephine Bonaparte. So Napoleon's wife. Um, she had a pug. Huh? The pug's name was Fortune. Okay. Again, remember what we said about like humanizing stories here. So, pugs are usually like they're pretty chill. They're pretty like good natured in general. This pug was like very protective of Josephine, <laughs> like to to like a, a significant extent. Like would get aggressive towards basically anyone who approached her, <laughs> and um, she she's she, like she spent all her time with Fortune would not let the dog out of her sight let the dog sleep in her bed uh like baby like like uh, put it in outfits all sorts of stuff napoleon on the other hand was never really raised with dogs didn't really get along with dogs very well (laughs) when they got married um on the wedding night was told by josephine that she wasn't kicking fortune out of the bed (laughs) uh either he could share the bed with the dog or he could sleep somewhere else <gasps> actually and apparently on this same wedding night um the very overprotective fortune bit napoleon on the legs so hard that he drew blood and left a scar
1: a warning <laughs> a reminder
0: um napoleon would go on the record later as saying that dog is my greatest rival <laughs> Which I think is the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> it's like who's who's Lord Wellington? Is that your biggest enemy? No, that pug. <laughs> he won't leave me alone. <laughs> um, yeah, he, she had the meanest little pug. I, I don't know. I, this this story brings me so much joy. The idea of Napoleon quaking at like an angry little pug, <laughs> like you know, you know, she was super fat, right? Oh, for sure. Like a hundred percent overweight. Is wriggling the little sausage of a pug, getting that mad and biting Napoleon on the leg. Amazing. (laughs) I love this story. Um, My final one for famous people and their pets would be uh, Canadian Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King. Did you know this guy was Prime Minister for over 20 years? I didn't realize it was quite that long. He was party leader for 29 years. So basically, Prime Minister of Canada uh, throughout the 20s, uh, throughout the Depression, and throughout the Second World War, um, there's a lot of stuff about Canadian society that was put in place under King. Like, he's extremely influential in modernizing the Canadian state. So, like, keep in mind when like World War I breaks out, Canada is, like, automatically, like, at war with uh, uh, with Germany just because Britain declares war with Germany, right? Like, it's still very much, like, a dominion, like, barely a, an independent state.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He takes... He takes Canada from that to like an actual independent modern state, like a bunch of our constitutional uh, amendments were done under him. A lot of our um, sort of sort of um, social safety net stuff was put in uh, under him. He's just he also just wasn't that um, charming, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Like he was not a, he was not a charismatic guy. His writing's very academic. Um, he didn't get along with people very well. Like he didn't have many friends. Yeah never got married lots of like political allies but no like close friends right he did have three different irish terriers um he named all three of them pat (laughs) yeah no yeah he just yep why why fix what ain't broke i guess i don't know
1: (laughs) it actually happens more than you think
0: oh I'm, i'm i'm certain it does but here, it's, it's going to get weirder in a second. It's already a little weird, but it gets weirder in a second. It turned out after King's death, um, when his his diaries and things got opened up, we found out that King was actually extremely dedicated to like the mystic arts. Like he was very into spiritualism and oh. he would frequently employ mediums to contact the spirits of his dead dogs all three of them oh. and ask for their advice oh. on matters of state. Wow. He would also contact his mother or um, Sir Wilfrid Laurier, another prime minister. Um, they're, they're, like there were other, there were other spirits he was, he was contacting for this sure. advice, but mainly he would talk to his, his, his dead dogs. He had Ouija boards that he would just, you know, if it's just something quick, you don't need to get the medium in for no,
1: it. Right? You can handle that yourself
0: yeah yeah why not but that's why i'm that's why i'm so confused by the naming them all three the same thing it's like is that not awkward at the seance
1: did he have them at the same time or were there were they one after another
0: one after another Mm. uh there may have been some overlap at one point but they they were they were not all Mm. uh alive at the same time but yeah, so he kept in contact with one, but renamed another one the same thing. And, you know, yeah, it, it turned out like it was this big shock in in Canada in the 50s when these came out to realize that this guy who's kind of steered the country for the last couple of decades was talking to his dog, Pat, and also his other dog, Pat, <laughs> about <laughs> what he should do <laughs> about, you know, the Soviet Union or whatever. <laughs> yeah i don't know it's it's i mean the the reality of the situation like from from a practical standpoint is that he was a very competent leader and and you know a lot of things that were uh really critical to put in canada in a good place throughout the 20th century were were under his influence right and so it doesn't seem to have hurt anything necessarily
1: thanks pat and also pat and also other pat
0: also other pat thank you too um (laughs) You know, it's, it, there, there's a lot of argument now over like, well, you know, did he just like separate the parts of his life that were like uh, spiritualism and, and politics or like did this actually have an effect? Because like it's really hard as as like historians to try and like grapple with the idea that someone could be a, a a national leader and also asking dogs for advice. Cause that's not like the kind of thing that gels very well with our, our concept of like a good, strong leader. Right? right. But like, that's just who he was. Like, that's what he was doing. That's what he was up to. He was such a, a, you know, a solitary person that his dogs were his closest companions. <laughs> they were his most trusted companions to the point that he would ask them for advice when he was struggling. Aww. And you know, that's not that unusual, really um like i don't know i talk to my animals that's that's the thing that basically everyone with pets does at some point it's just usually we're not under that much scrutiny afterwards
1: well and also usually i feel like most people don't employ a medium a lot of people do a lot Mm -hmm. of people do still you know try to contact their pets that way after they're gone but i Mm -hmm. feel like just for general conversation's sake usually not so much yeah yeah yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man (laughs) we need social security bark twice like I don't know how it goes like that's that's the other thing like it it just makes me so curious it's like what is the nature of your conversation Mm -hmm. with that dog through a medium like is it anyways I we're we're getting way off topic that's not the point um but you know like I said it's it's one of those things that I think looking at these people's pets kind of humanizes them in a really interesting way Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got this guy who's known as like very like cold and distant and academic and Turns out he really misses his dogs. Aww. Yeah. So anyway, why don't we take a quick break there and we come back. We'll talk about some uh, exotic animal- animals as pranks and also a couple of hero animals. That sounds good. Back on HI101 here with Paka Hi. And we've been talking about uh, some famous animals in history. Um, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm glad. I, I'm glad we decided to do this.
1: Yeah, this is a good topic.
0: Um, we already talked about the Marquis de Lafayette and his alligator, so that covers <laughs> like a pretty good exotic animal prank. So let's move on to um, Claire the rhinoceros. It's it's this interesting thing that happens in like the Age of Exploration in Europe, like 1600s, 1700s, things like that, where like we start, they start hearing about. All these things from like faraway lands and they're getting descriptions and they're getting drawings and things like that but like you also have never seen it right mm-hmm. and you know this is an era where like pineapples were seen as like the height of luxury like yep. getting a pineapple is something that only rich people get to do um people would rent pineapples for parties that's how rare they would be mm-hmm. have you heard about this before no Yeah. So having a pineapple was such a like status symbol that a very wealthy person would would buy a pineapple. And then while it was still pretty green, like it wasn't ready to eat yet, they would rent it out to people who were less wealthy, but still had a lot of money just to have at a party, just like as a centerpiece. But like you weren't allowed to eat it. But everyone (laughs) was like, oh, you've got a pineapple.
1: That's amazing.
0: And so they'd rent it out to a couple of people to help bring down the price of the pineapple right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's like when people like buy a house and then rent out a room kind of thing sure (laughs) um and then finally when it was like ripe enough to eat then the people who originally purchased it would eat it um it's kind of the reason you'll actually see fairly common um like glassware and things in the shape of a pineapple Mm -hmm. that's like an old like hangover of this phenomenon Hmm. but the point is like it's one thing to get like say, spices from a faraway land or silk from a faraway land and bring it and, you know, keep it in, in reasonable shape and you could actually see the thing, right, without it spoiling. Um, it's another thing to get, you know, live animals to come, especially if it's a very large animal.
1: And that's such a big thing, too, because you could see the drawings and stuff and hear people's description, but until you actually see the scale of it, like, mm-hmm. could you imagine, like, just kind of hearing about a giraffe, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, weird long horse, right? But yeah. then you actually see one, you're like, oh, oh, okay, I see.
0: Yeah, well, uh, one of the ones we're going to talk about is actually a giraffe. Oh. <laughs> Her name was Zarafa, and in 1826, a French ambassador to Egypt told the, uh, the new Sultan of Egypt that in order to gain France's uh, support in kind of an upcoming war against the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Egypt was just starting to kind of exert some independence in that in that uh, region of the world at this point, point. Um, and they were looking to other powers for for assistance because the the Ottoman Empire was still huge and, and very powerful. Uh, in order to get French support, he was going to have to like give France like a pretty good gift, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so he he thought about like, okay, well, what am I going to actually? I'm actually going to get them, right? And he decides that the most extravagant gift that he can come up with is a giraffe because there has not been a live giraffe in Europe for over three centuries. So it's not as though, like, giraffes have never gotten there. It's just, like, imagine all the places that giraffes live and then how far it is to get to Europe and, like, the logistics of getting a giraffe there. It's not easy. Mm -mm. They're huge animals. So... What the sultan decides to do is he gets a, um, relatively young giraffe and he sends it along with three dairy cows to provide milk because it hadn't been completely weaned yet. Um, he was drinking like 25 liters of milk a day.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I couldn't,
0: I couldn't quite lock down how tall Zarafa was when she left Egypt but like she's going to continue to grow along this journey so oh they 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 put her on a boat and they actually cut out part of the deck so that she was standing below decks but her head was sticking out because she's so tall <laughs> sailed her to kind of the south of france and then walked her up to paris <laughs> along with her cows and like the entire way along right people are just like stopping and staring at this thing that they've never seen before because you're right like Descriptions don't do giraffes any justice whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not, you know, whatever. Um, seeing one is a very different thing. And mm-hmm. you know, by the time she's full grown, Zarafa will be 14 feet tall or so. Like, that's massive. It's huge. It's so big. So this, like this, this uh creates all these like fashion like uh these these massive trends in fashion in paris at this point in time people are buying giraffe pattern dresses they are doing up their hair in giraffe themed hairdos um <laughs> like it, it's 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 just wild um the, the king loves zarafa he, he's all about zarafa he loves her so much and they actually end up taking really good care of her she lives in paris for 18 years oh which is great that's, that's so good that's pretty good the thing that bums me out about the story of Zarafa, and it's not actually a bummer, this is just like my own disappointment, is like, I kind of wish they had somehow managed to get her to Paris while she was still like baby giraffe, like six feet tall type size. Because the the image of like, everyone being like, wow, that is a tall horse that's like six feet tall. And they're just like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh <laughs> no. She, like, doubles in size. She was already very tall when she got there. I think she was about 12 feet when she got to Paris. So it's another two feet. Like, that's mm-hmm. not nothing, but yeah. know, 12 to 14. I, I, like, if you're 12 feet tall, you might as well be 14. <laughs> Why yeah. not at that point? Um, But, yeah, that was, as I said, the, the, the first giraffe in Europe for for over three centuries at that point. Um, The sultan, uh, Muhammad Ali, had actually sent giraffes to other leaders as well, but uh, they didn't uh they didn't uh survive as well the one that was sent to london i think only only lived two years or something like that mm. but um yeah zarafa was really well known for actually living for for almost two decades so
1: that's amazing
0: yeah just like a treasure of the city of paris everybody loved her they were crazy for her. another animal that again i sort of wish i could see people seeing it for the first time based on the based on the descriptions right is when Clara the rhinoceros was sent to Europe in 1741. Think about what a rhinoceros actually looks like. Like, you've seen them in zoos and stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, they are wildly imposing animals.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And there's no real good way to describe a rhinoceros that sounds like an actual, actual animal. Like, that's not... Yeah, it's got a massive horn coming out of its face, and it's got this leathery hide that looks like armor it's like what are you talking about it sounds like (laughs) for you fire too like come on now but uh clara was given to the head of the dutch east india company she she was she was orphaned and and kind of presented to the company as a as a gift and they decided to basically tour her around and exhibit her across europe and again like the trends like it, it was one of those like you know, we'll give it to the company as like a token of our gratitude as a baby uh, or as a baby rhinoceros. And it's kind of like, they're going to have to look after a rhinoceros now (laughs) because it gets so big and they eat so much. And like, what do you do with a rhinoceros? Like, I I understand that like, you know, today you can go to school for a long time and learn how to, uh, how to properly take care of animals like this. Mm -hmm. if a a rhinoceros just like lands in your lap tomorrow like what do you do with it like what does it even eat like what does it need all of that stuff i I,
1: where do you put it
0: where where do you put it that would not fit my
1: backyard
0: how much stuff would it destroy before you realize like just how strong a rhinoceros (laughs) is like you cannot put up like a little wood wood fence around and expect this to be fine it's gonna go right through that thing this is as i said like the 1740s so in, in Europe, in, in uh, France especially, like powdered wigs are in right now. That's what's going on mm. for on the head. People start styling their wigs to look like rhino- rhinoceros horns. <laughs> They're so excited about this rhino. Thousands of people are coming out to see this thing because like, again, it sounds like something out of like a myth or a legend, right? Like this, this massive dinosaur of an animal. I don't know. I just keep thinking about the people who uh, you know, we likely short on payment uh, and decided to give this rhinoceros to somebody in lieu <laughs> <laughs> just thinking like, <laughs> what are they going to do with this?
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Um, but yeah. And again, the the people seeing a rhinoceros for the first time, like I, I can't I can't imagine, you know, I, I, I certainly can't remember the first time I saw one. And, and even before I did, I'm sure I saw pictures of it. Like, it's kind of like it's not the same thing. The idea yeah. of, like, actually encountering one in the wild for the first time, that that just, I don't know, it blows my mind a little bit.
1: Yeah, completely discovering something you've never seen before heard of or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes in shows and stuff, somebody will get, like, their girlfriend or their kid or whoever, like, a new puppy – Mm-hmm. and like they don't ask them they just kind of like give it as a present and you're like ooh, maybe they should have asked first because that's kind of like a big lifestyle thing to impose on somebody yeah for sure okay now imagine that but with a rhinoceros <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs>
0: um you remember uh you remember the the bark gets an elephant episode of the simpsons yes yeah just like no author no forethought here
1: no <laughs> um
0: yeah there's there's lots of elephant stories out there too but most of them are really sad so i kind yeah. of skipped all of them elephants are hard to take care of yeah. They're really cute and you know yeah, we're, we're gonna stick away from those ones <laughs> um i did see a story though about a a raj in in india who's uh he he married two of his dogs together and got a <laughs> white elephant for the ceremony he spent amazing millions and forced all the um, all the nobles in the area to come and like give the dogs gifts for <gasps> the wedding. <laughs> and it was extremely lavish. Like, if you know anything about Indian weddings, like they do not skimp, right? Yeah. No, it was a full-fledged wedding. Like it was over a couple of days. Um, I think I saw costs like, like in excess of a million dollars. Can you imagine?
1: That is. 100 percent something that i would try to do if i had the resources and energy
0: <laughs> i would go to that wedding that would be a fun wedding are you kidding me oh that's amazing good time just like just like watching a dog on top of a white elephant coming <laughs> so good so good
1: oh man
0: anyways um let's move on to a couple of hero animals i want to okay. talk about some hero animals let's talk about uh sheremi Jeremy, dear friend in French, was a messenger pigeon in the First World War. It took me a long time to figure out, by the way, how messenger pigeons actually worked. Like, how do they know where to go? Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know why that like tripped me up so badly in like the logic of a messenger pigeon, but it's like, oh, they only go to one place. It's their home. You have to take them from their home, and then when you want to send the message, you let them go, and they'll go back there. Okay, that's that's easy. That makes sense. <laughs> I, like, I don't know why the logic of that. It, it, it escaped me for an embarrassingly long time.
1: Yeah, me too. But also, like, it's a pigeon, so, you know, they're kind of inherently, they seem dumb. So you wouldn't <laughs> expect them to be able to complete an important task like that.
0: I, for some reason, I had it in my head, though. That, that like you would tell the pigeon where to go, and he would go
1: yeah, there. Yeah, that's a hundred percent how I pictured
0: it too. <laughs> Which like, th- like the most intelligent animals have like an extremely hard time with a concept like that. There's mm-hmm. no way a pigeon could pull that off. Half the anyways, times humans
1: can't even get where honestly, they're going. So, <laughs> yo,
0: yo, that's me. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So in in World War One, I, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the First World War is that like on one hand it seems very recent like you look at the dates like 1914 to 1918 and you're like oh okay that's that's pretty recent like we just mm-hmm. passed the 100th anniversary of of uh the war but like it's in the 1900s like it feels pretty modern and you kind of forget how much of that was still like y- you know horses were being used and yeah the, you know flight was brand new and um even running like telephone lines was like brand new technology practically right yeah and a lot of times something like telephone wires was something that would be explicitly targeted by the other side if you found out where the enemy was running their their communication lines they would just they would just bomb it right like they would send t- artillery barrages at the points where they believed the telephone lines to be and it would break them and then you couldn't com- you couldn't communicate with your front line from your command right mm-hmm so, as a backup, they were still using messenger pigeons pretty extensively in the First World War, which is just wild to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was extensive enough that each side would have um, lookouts explicitly watching for messenger pigeons to try and shoot them down. Because, again, you're trying to, you know, interfere with enemy communication. Let's get back to Jeremy there was a group of american soldiers there's about 550 of them which is you know on w- on one hand like a lot of guys on the other hand in the first world war kind of gets lost in the numbers a little bit with some of these big battles mm-hmm. and they had gotten uh separated away from the rest of their battalion like to the point that it had been a few days since they'd made contact and it was kind of like they'd kind of been written off at that point because it was sort of assumed that if they couldn't get any word through and they didn't come back, that they were probably killed or, ca- or captured. Right. Mm-hmm. But the truth of it was that they'd been trying to send messages and their pigeons kept getting picked off. Finally, you know, world war one's all about artillery barrages, right? Like they just, they just pound the crap out of each other with these long range cannons. And, um, Finally, headquarters gets this pigeon through from this this missing group. It's Chermi, and he's got a this message tied to him says, We are along the road parallel 276.4. Our artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it. <laughs> Which is the calmest way I've ever seen someone say, Please stop bombing us. We are your own soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> they were in they were out of position and they were being bombed by US artillery oh, and Shermi was the only pigeon that managed to get the message through. So they stopped, they let them back in. All five well, no, wasn't all five hundred and fifty, but most of the group was saved. <laughs> and they gave Cheremy uh the Croix de Guerre, the, the the cross of war by the French government. He was awarded a major military award for his service in saving all of these men.
1: That's amazing. Did Good job, they pigeon. Also give him some earrings. <laughs>
0: as beautiful as any maiden. <laughs> um the 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 military ribbon is is the the only jewelry I am I am personally aware of. Uh. <laughs> um next up I've got Unsinkable Sam. Unsinkable Sam was a cat. He was a he was a mouser. Again, okay. this is like this is one of those things where this is second world war now, but it's one of those things that's like, oh yeah, this is really re- like this is really recent, but it also feels kind of long ago. A lot of ships would just have cats on board as mousers mm-hmm. because ships were a breeding ground for for mice and rats. Uncyclable um, Sam was originally on board uh, the German ship the Bismarck. and the Bismarck is kind of a famous uh, uh, German battleship from the Second World War. It was like brand new in the 1930s. it was all the best German uh, technology kind of thing and managed to sink the, uh, uh, the British ship, the hood, like it was, it was, which was a big deal at the time. The hood was supposed to be top of the line British. And, um, everyone was kind of afraid of the Bismarck class, um, battleships, but, uh, the British Navy eventually managed to sink the Bismarck in May of 1941. And when the battle was over and they're going through, kind of the area and they you know they, they, you rescue anybody that's kind of floating with the debris kind of thing after a, a naval battle
1: mm-hmm.
0: um they found this cat floating on the debris of the ship and they went great we could use another mouse or no problem and they brought him on board um there's no photos by the way of unsinkable sam but i guess he was like this little like tuxedo cat black and white sort of thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so they brought him on board the uh, British destroyer, destroyer uh, the Cossack. Um, in October of 1941, the Cossack was torpedoed by uh, German boats and sunk. And once again, Sam was found floating on debris.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: This time by, by British rescue crews. Um, he was put on board the British carrier, the HMS Ark Royal. Which one month later in November of 1941 was torpedoed and sunk. (laughs) Now, not one of these times was Sam actually injured in any way, shape, or form. Um, The report after the third sinking, when they found him again floating on debris, was that he was, quote, angry but quite unharmed.
1: (laughs) I mean, at that point, I would be mad too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. The, the the just the sheer rage keeping this cat alive is is mm, i love it so much it's <laughs> so good they finally decided after this third time that maybe it would be best to keep sam on dry land from now on
1: <laughs> i think sam would probably agree
0: yeah and and they so they brought him home and they kept him on a on a naval base as kind of a mascot sort of thing sam lived until 1955 that's another 14 years oh my that's goodness. pretty good good job sam i am i'm i'm very this, this one, this one brings me so much joy, especially considering traditionally how um, superstitious sailors tend to be. Mm-hmm. I am surprised that after even the first one, they brought he that cat just, on board. Yeah. Like.
1: You would think that would definitely go a different
0: way. Yeah. You, you, you you'd think like bare minimum, we're going to drop him off on land. This cat's bad luck. After the second one, definitely bad luck. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm surprised he made it onto a third boat at that point, but anyways, (laughs) that's the story of Unsinkable Sam. I don't know why I put him in with hero animals. He didn't actually accomplish anything other than survive, but you know, sometimes, some days that's enough.
1: You know what? Sometimes that's all it takes. That's
0: all it takes. Um, I got one final story for it here. Okay. In 1924, in the, I was going to say city, but at the time, very, very small town of Nome, Alaska there was mm, at most about 3000 people living in that area. Uh, the majority of which would be, uh, Inupiat. The rest were kind of, uh, they were remnants of the, the gnome gold rush in the late 1890s. The, the, the settlement had really only been founded by, uh, us settlers in, in, I think it's 1898. um, and even though the boom was over, there's still a couple thousand people there. It's far enough north, like it's right on the or or just barely south of the Arctic Circle. It's far enough north that the ports close, like they freeze over uh, in the fall. Three days over, or three days after the port closed for the winter in 1924, the doctor there in Nome, Alaska, discovered a case of diphtheria. Diphtheria is one of those like nobody gets it anymore because you know we get inoculated for it as as children but you know mm-hmm. less than 100 years ago was extremely devastating if it got going in a community right it's like a bacterial yeah. infection you know we didn't have antibiotics at that point point. Um, and the other thing to consider here is that for uh, indigenous populations north of the arctic circle a lot of them first contact took place in the 20th century. So we're not talking about centuries and centuries out from first contact with, uh, devastating diseases. Um, Mm -hmm. there are people in this area for whom the 1920s, uh, you know, that could very well be their first contact with, uh, a disease that they have zero immunity to whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So extremely vulnerable population. So the port closes over uh, and the, uh, the doctor basically, he, he estimates that there could be as high as a hundred percent mortality, uh, with this outbreak without any medication. There is a treatment at this point in time. It's something called, uh, diphtheria serum. Um, my understanding of it is that it's kind of, a um, like an antibodies, uh, uh treatment they don't use it anymore it's it's very very outdated mm-hmm. but it would get you through an outbreak right like it would keep people alive basically the only way that you could get anything into gnome after the ports close for the winter because this is again very soon after airplanes are invented right like they didn't have uh an airstrip well they had an airstrip but it was it, it, the planes are not good enough to deal with blizzards and things like that right the only way in there is the iditarod trail okay runs for 1500 kilometers up into gnome and at this point in time the iditarod is basically a a mail uh service and it would take like several weeks to get anything into gnome from uh from the coast yeah it's it's 1500 kilometers it takes forever and the, the the doctor basically writes in and says like listen everybody's gonna die if we don't get this medicine like we are super in trouble. Yeah. We are super screwed here. Can we please figure something out? And so like, you know, in, in Anchorage, they're trying to figure out how they're going to get these people help. So what they do is they pull together all the diphtheria serum. They can kind of, uh, scrounge together from like the Northern, uh, continental us. So, you know, Washington, uh, Oregon in that area. And they, Mm they ship it up as quickly as they can to the coast of Alaska. And then they take it from the coast by rail up to, I'm going to say this wrong. I think it's Ninana on uh, the Yukon river. It's about as far north on rail as you can get, Mm -hmm. but it's very much like in the interior of Alaska from there. It's still a thousand kilometers from there to Nome. And they decide that what they're going to do is run a, relay of dog sledders the record from uh the city to Nome, the record time ever was nine days for one of these relays usually it took runners about a month to travel those thousand kilometers mm-hmm. they managed to get the package of uh serum uh between 20 different runners they did it in five and a half days holy yeah the last dog, um, or lead dog, uh, was named Balto. This is where that cartoon movie comes from, Balto. Huh. Yeah, and Balto ran the last fifty kilometers or so of this uh, of this relay, and he's the one that actually hands the serum off to the doctor and gnome, and you know everyone cheers, and he gets all the fame for it. Like he got a statue <laughs> and everything. Here's the thing. Uh there's another runner. Um the runner's name was uh Leonard Sepala and his lead dog was named Togo. His team, Togo's team ran 480 kilometers of that thousand kilometers on their own. That through, is half
1: the distance.
0: That is literally half the distance over the hardest terrain as well through oh near whiteout through near whiteout conditions. Togo kept that team on trail when uh Leonard could not see the trail himself, Aww. and yeah he he ran half the route it's it's like slightly under it's it's like forty six percent or something like that, and Togo gets like no credit for it, which is kind of sad, but That's so sad i know but yeah they they ran this trail five and a half days, got it there as quickly as possible, and because of these men and their dog teams running this trail so quickly. There were only the the official death count for this diphtheria outbreak was five.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Now there, the the doctor would later revise his number upwards. He thinks it might have been closer to a hundred, mostly because a lot of the communities in and around Nome wouldn't necessarily report deaths to him because they don't really feel any any need to take that business to uh, an American doctor. They would look after their own communities. So. Mm-hmm but even then 100 is a lot less than uh the entire population of the region which would have been in the thousands. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's do you do you remember watching that Balto cartoon as a kid? I remember that we watched it at some point and I do not remember a single thing about the movie.
1: I don't. The name rings a bell and that's pretty much it.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 I'm I'm in a similar spot. I know that it exists. I know it's animated and I know it's about a sled dog and that's mm-hmm. kind of the extent of it for me um a little salty now that uh togo gets zero credit out of all of this yeah. right but what a what a hero dog
1: yeah no kidding
0: i am out of historical animal stories to tell you but yeah i i had a really good really good time putting these together yeah uh, this wh- was a
1: very like heartwarming
0: topic yeah? <laughs> good i'm glad you had a good time what was your what was your favorite historical animal that we talked about today
1: um, definitely the most beautiful eel in the world.
0: The most beautiful eel in the world. I really wish I had her name. I looked very, very hard. If anyone out there has it, please let me know. I would <laughs> very much like to honor her appropriately. Um, <laughs> I keep coming back to old, like the tobacco ram.
1: Yeah, that's wild. He's just,
0: he's just kind of chill. <laughs>
1: it's like,
0: there's, there's, there's something so quintessentially ram about, like scouring the yard for abandoned cigar butts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like I don't know. It's like that one kid at school, right? It's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on and uh doing this remotely. I know it's a little bit trickier, uh, farther away, but um yeah, I I am glad we had a chance to to talk about this today and just uh feel good about manuals for a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: All right, we'll have to do it again soon. Definitely. So, that's our show on famous animals. If I've missed a story that you're fond of, let me know about it. I'd love to hear from you. Apologies for a bit lighter episode this time around, but we'll see what May brings. Maybe we'll end up doing something closer to a traditional HI 101 episode, or maybe it'll be something else a bit strange. I'm not entirely sure, most of my planning is pretty short term these days, but no matter what I'll be posting something. Since HI101's format can lead to some factual errors, I encourage you to visit HI101.ca and check out the corrections I've posted there. If there are any corrections I've missed, please let me know so I can add them. You can also reach me on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash HI101podcast, on Twitter at HI101podcast, or by email at contact at HI101.ca. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com HI101 to make a monthly pledge or paypal.me slash HI101 for a single donation. And remember, HI101 was a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your interest, take a look around. I guarantee there's plenty of interesting information out there we didn't cover. I'm Adam Blusky, and this has been HI101.